Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Acton, Acton, it's James Holland here, minus Al, but I have got a new friend beside me. Well, he's not a new friend, he's a really old friend, actually, Professor Saul David. And Saul, this is a little bonus extra, because you have got a new podcast out, haven't you, with the goal-hanger staple, Battleground. Tell me all about it. I have, and I've got you to blame, frankly. Um, Yes, (laughs) I'm joining the stable um, we're, we're stretching your remit a little bit, actually. We're, we're, we're hoping to cover much of the 20th century uh, and possibly even a little bit further afield, actually. But because we're 40 years on from the Falklands War, I mean, as we speak, uh, we thought we'd start off with a multi-part special on that war. And the great thing is, when I say we, my co-host Patrick Bishop was actually reporting from the war. So you've got me no. as a theorist. Wow, I hadn't appreciated he was actually out there at the time. He was. He was a he was a cub reporter, as he puts it, with the Observer newspaper. And he, he That's also amazing. Men- and he also mentioned to me that, but for uh, the fact that none of the more senior reporters actually thought it would lead to a shooting war, um, he would have been uh, he would have been turfed out, and someone far more important would have gone. But they didn't think it would come to that. He was on the task force, and of course, he just kept going uh, and had a wonderful opportunity, uh, career wise, frankly, to get a, a big war under his belt. So how are you playing this? I mean, you, 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 obviously, Patrick's been out there, so that's a good start. But I mean, what, what's the USP? Well, the USP is to do two things. We, we want a lot of uh, first-hand accounts. So Patrick can tell the war correspondent bit. I mean, he yeah, went sure. down in Canberra. But there are lots and lots of other stories that have only been half told, to be truthful, Jamie. And the lovely thing is, 40 years on, as you and I both know, researching the Second World War, uh, people are getting yep. to the end of their sell-by dates now. But they're very much in their 60s and 70s for the Falklands War. Yeah. So Lots of people to talk to, uh, some great stories. We've already got a wonderful cast list under our belt. People like Lord Luce, the Foreign Office Minister in mm-hmm. charge of the Falklands at the time. Oh, wow. He's given us the political angle. Then, of course, we've got yep. the military, naval. We've got Jeremy Larkin, who was in charge of Fearless. That was the amphibious assault ship. Julian Thompson, the commander of three yes. uh, commando brigade, who you may know from actually having written quite a number of books. So quite a cerebral. I did. I went to interview him. I went to interview him after some, some years ago. And he was just talking generically about about history, warfare. God, he was fascinating. I mean, really, really properly interesting. Yeah. And I think, you know, also an, another important uh, uh, insight I think we as military historians have for something like this is it takes time for people to actually begin to open up. I mean, yes, they were yeah. there, but you can interview them 10 years later and they're not going to be saying the same things they say 30 or 40 no. years after that. So I think we're getting a re- we're getting some pretty hard hitting stuff, frankly. I mean, people are not frightened to criticize and they're not frightened to call out people they think made a bit of a balls up frankly well it sounds absolutely fantastic so um hopefully this will be so falklands war will be the first bit and then hopefully you'll you'll go through the whole gamut of 20th century wars and beyond but um i think it sounds absolutely fantastic what's not to like frankly well god willing i mean as you know uh, you know it it always depends on us having the enthusiasm and goal hanger you know wanting us to keep going but patrick and i certainly want to want to you know this is a great one to start with we feel uh, and if we get enough momentum yes we'll definitely keep going so i i think we should have a little listen 
um, from episode one. It's the early morning of the 21st of May, 1982. Huddled in landing craft, British Marines and paratroopers are about to hit the beach. It's the first step to retaking the Falkland Islands, a scrap of British territory on the far side of the world that had been all but forgotten before being seized by Argentina seven weeks before. The first British units land without a shot being fired. Hopes rise that they're going to achieve complete surprise over the Argentinians, but the relief doesn't last long. At 9.25, just after dawn, nine Argentinian Air Force dagger jets scream over the rough bowl of hills surrounding San Carlos water, which is crammed with British ships. For the rest of the day, showing great skill and bravery, the Argentine pilots launch wave after wave of attacks. It seems impossible that their bombs won't hit the cruise liner turned troop ship Canberra, which, at more than 40,000 tons, towers over the rest of the ships like a great white whale. But miraculously, it survives. Others are not so lucky. As the Antarctic night descends, the harbour is choked with smoke from burning British ships. Six warships have been hit, and one, the frigate HMS Ardent, sent to the bottom. But all the troops are ashore, the rapier missile air defence batteries are being set up, and the British Expeditionary Force is ready to start the most daunting challenge the military has faced since the Second World War. Exciting stuff. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Battleground podcast with me, Saul David. And me, Patrick Bishop. Every week we're going to be discussing the wars of the 20th century, goodness knows there have been enough of them, and occasionally roaming further afield if we feel the urge. But given that the 2nd of April 2022 marked the 40th anniversary of the Argentinian invasion of the Falkland Islands, we thought we'd kick off with a multi-part series on that war, following events in real time and trying to mark up all the big themes of the event. All right, let's talk a little bit about the Falklands War. We've had a preamble, of course, at the beginning of this episode, Um, very dramatic stuff when the troops finally reached the islands. But really, we need to work out why they got there, how they got there, uh, and the road to war. And we're going to come on to that later on in the episode. Um, But in very general terms, it was an extraordinary conflict, having long claimed a right to Las Malvinas, as the Argentinians called the islands, their military rulers must have assumed that the British lion was sleeping its eye off the ball with regard to its most distant possession. There were all kinds of problems besetting Margaret Thatcher's government, infighting, economic crisis. Uh, In a military sense, one of our only two aircraft carriers was about to be sold off. Only a handful of marines were guarding the Falklands and the only naval ship in the area, Endurance, was about to be recalled. So that's what's happening on the British side. Patrick, what's happening in Argentina at this stage? The Argentinian side was pretty confused as well. Uh, All was not going well at home for them. They've been fighting this long, pretty hideous uh, internal conflict with the military government turning on its own people, essentially, and going after anyone who they considered to be a communist or even a leftist. And uh, this dirty war, as it was called, claimed the lives by this stage of tens of thousands of people. Uh, They were looking for a distraction, and the long-standing issue of the islands seemed to provide them with an opportunity uh, to get people's minds onto something else. Whatever differences the Argentinians might have had, they all were united in believing genuinely that the islands belonged 
to them. So um, it must have seemed like a terrific opportunity to this embattled junta. Uh, here, are the, here is this uh, issue that's going to unite everyone, and Britain is really uh, not in a position to oppose us should we uh, go for the for the uh, dramatic option and launch an invasion. How on earth are they going to come all the way 8,000 miles across the oceans and try and get it back? It seemed like a, a win-win for them. Now, Patrick, you and I have written about war. I've gone all the way back to the 17th century. You've written mostly about the 20th century. But it helps a little in this particular conflict, I think, that we can both remember it. I was a 16-year-old schoolboy just about to do my O-levels, but rather unusually gripped by the events in a way that I don't think all my my, my mates at school were. Uh, as they were unfolding 8,000 miles away in the South Atlantic, I was watching the TV news as casualties in ships and people began to mount and feeling an odd sense of detachment as if it wasn't real. But you, of course, Patrick, for you, it was far too real. Uh, What were you up to then? Well, in those days, I was a youngish reporter working for the Observer newspaper. And uh, like everyone else, I was I was taken by surprise by events. I was my beat was Northern Ireland in those days. so I knew a little bit about the military. But all of a sudden, this uh, this crisis blows up and it's if you're a journalist a young ambitious journalist it's a it's a huge opportunity so i grabbed it and uh, managed to uh, persuade the paper to nominate me as their correspondent with the task force i think at that point no one really thought that uh, it would end up in a in a real shooting war Uh, if they had they might not have sent me and sent someone more more uh, senior one of the striking things for me and everyone in the country, for that matter, was how suddenly it blew up. It, it seemed to come out of nowhere. Uh, we were literally looking on maps, on atlases. You know, where where actually is uh, the where are the Falkland Islands in the South Atlantic? Uh, and when you do identify them on the map, it's quite shocking how close they are to Argentina. We're talking just about maybe three or four hundred miles, but but eight thousand from here. Um, the response was cobbled together, it seemed to me, in a very short space of time. It was very ad hoc uh, and very British, really. I mean, could we get enough force together to do something about this? That's right. One of the um, senior officers involved uh, in it told me once that it was a lash-up. The whole thing was a lash-up, a naval expression, which means you just grab whatever is at hand and try and uh, forge it into some sort of workable uh, instrument. And that's exactly what happened. They were just reaching where they could for for what resources uh, were available. Uh, It was a very British lash-up at that, um, and in the end it did work. But it certainly didn't look very likely that it was going to succeed at the beginning, uh, largely because of of this national mood, which was very intense. I think anyone listening now would be surprised at just how deep the malaise was in Britain at that time. You got very high unemployment. For me, the kind of theme tunes of the time were uh, Oliver's Army, the... Um, the great Elvis Costello number, and the specials Ghost Town. So you, there's this kind of feeling of terminal decline. You've got this new female prime minister who, in those days, she wasn't the Mrs. Thatcher we came to know. She was, uh, well, she was unpopular. That that bit remained true, but uh, she was very much an untried quantity. And she herself, um, you know, was the first to admit uh, at the time that she didn't really know much about the business of of governing. Uh, so there's this sense of, of drift and of hopelessness. And um, although the armed forces nowadays uh, have a very high place in the national estimation, in those days they didn't. And in, indeed, the Falklands War was something that actually restored 
their their credibility and their honour in some ways. They were seen, they were either invisible, like the Royal Navy, you never heard anything of the Royal Navy at all, or um, when they did pop up in the news, it was usually in a slightly negative way. They were in Northern Ireland trying to keep the peace and invariably from time to time there'd be some sort of uh, shooting incident or something and uh, this would create a sort of media flurry about uh, the army's tactics and behaviour. So all in all, uh, Britain didn't seem uh, to be in a very good place. Is that how you saw it, Saul? I mean, you're a young guy, but you studied the period. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you think of it from a military history perspective, it's downhill all the way since the end of the Second World War. Our armed forces are gradually diminishing in effectiveness, size, Uh, The Navy is getting smaller and it's about to get a lot smaller too. And there was very much a feeling, I think, even growing up that, you know, we were no longer a great power. We were heading uh, very much for second class status. We were, of course, still members of NATO, but we felt we we needed to latch on to other powers like the US, like other. Well, that was a little sample of episode one from Battleground, the Falklands War. And of course, you can get this anywhere that you get. We have ways of making you talk. Um, Do have a listen, people. It's going to be fantastic. (laughs) 